In our teaching time today, we are in a message series from the New Testament book of, of Acts, and the title of today's uh, message is Sharp and Surrendered. Um, and let me, let me start with a map. Do you like maps? I love maps. I, just, I really like maps. I like knowing where am I, what's going on around. I like, uh, you know, just being able to see perspective. And one reason I like to show you a map uh, from time to time when we're going through, you know, particular sections of Scripture is that it reminds you this really happened, happened with real people, real places, real events, and this is not just history, it's salvation history. It's what God chose to record for you and me for uh, salvation purposes. So if you take a look at this, uh, this map, um, you know, right uh, at, at, the, at 6 o'clock, you see Alexandria, Egypt. And the reason I highlight that is that one of the key characters in today's narrative is from Alexandria, uh, Egypt, a major uh, uh, city. Uh, it's, it's still the second largest city in, uh, in Egypt. But then you'll see, you know, the, uh, uh, Ephesus uh, there. And Ephesus is going to be where today's events occur. And uh, several of you have been to Ephesus. I've been to Ephesus. Um, it's in, uh, in Turkey. And um, over the last couple of weeks, if you see Athens there around uh, the 10 o'clock point, um, and about 50 miles to the west of Athens is Corinth. And so the Apostle Paul was ministering in Corinth. He met a couple of uh, people by the name of, of Priscilla and Aquila, a married couple. They were both tent makers also. And the three of them actually did ministry together in Corinth for 18 months, a long time. And after that, Paul said, well, let's go to Ephesus. So all three of them go to Ephesus. But while in Ephesus, for a short time, Paul says, Aquila, Priscilla, you two stay here, but I'm going on another missionary journey. And the people in Ephesus said, Paul, will you come back to us? I've got six questions I want to ask you this morning, and here's the first one. But let me tell you what Paul's response was. He said, Acts 18, verse 21, I will come back if it is God's will. One more time, I will come back if it's God's will. So here's my first question. Have you learned to plan in pencil, not pen? I think it's really good to plan. It's a mark of wisdom. But you do not hold the ink pen. Neither do I. God does. You know, the book of James says that it's a, really, a, a good thing to even say is if the, if the Lord wills. I plan to see you next week, Lord, Lord willing. There are many uh, believers who over the years have signed letters or maybe emails using the um, abbreviation DV which is Latin for Deo Valente, God willing. And if you think about the Apostle Paul's own missionary journeys, what he said, we plan to go here. He wanted to go to Bithynia. And he said, but the Spirit of God closed down that idea. Well, let's go north. We can't go north. Well, we plan then to go south. That door closed. And then all of a sudden, there's this message from the Lord saying, go west, young man. And he's got this vision, come on over to Europe, come to Greece, come to Macedonia. And 
when he started out on that missionary journey, that's not where he planned to go, but he planned in pencil, saying, Lord, I'm yours. I'm your servant. And if you redirect, you redirect. And I plan to return if the Lord wills. I think it's a pretty good mindset. All right. In verse 24, you're going to meet this uh, man by the name of Apollos. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. Now, let me just stop there for a moment. So, Alexandria was the capital of the Roman province of Egypt. Um, And Egypt had a Jewish population, it is estimated, of around a, a million people. And they were largely concentrated around Alexandria. And so that's in Alexandria. It was a city founded by Alexander the Great in 331 BC. It was an intellectual haven. Josephus reminds us that it had a library of more than half a million scrolls. And so here's Apollos, well educated from an intellectual haven. He's also well studied in the scriptures. The, the next verse says, he was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. That would be the Old Testament Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately. Did you get that? He spoke with great fervor, taught about Jesus accurately. But now listen to this. Though he only knew the baptism of John. Hmm. I'll come back to that in a moment. But he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. So here's Apollos, eloquent, competent, enthusiastic, bold, without a peer in public skills. Not just sharp, super sharp. He was sharp and he was surrendered to the purposes of God. But get this now, he only knew the baptism of John. You know, baptism of John the Baptist, which was a baptism that says, repent, The Messiah is coming. And so here's Apollos. He's not a false teacher. He's not a heretic. He's just incomplete in his knowledge because Judaism is transitioning gradually into Christianity. And so he knows, one Bible teacher says, Apollos preached the Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount. He believed Jesus was the Messiah He believed Jesus is the one who'd come. He believed Jesus is teaching true things. But as of yet, Apollos is incomplete on his knowledge of the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, the giving of the Holy Spirit. And so he's teaching a baptism, but not a complete one. He's missing the message of redemption. He's missing the message of blood atonement, missing the message, uh, it's incomplete, missing the message of Christ ascended, giving the Holy Spirit His promised return, all these wonderful things that we have by grace in Jesus. He just didn't fully understand the scope. And you know what he needed? He just needed a little help. He needed someone to come along and help him And God supplies that through two mentoring Christians. Now, before I get to those two mentors, let me ask a second question. Are you boldly using your talents 
for the Lord. Apollos was. And remember, it's easier to steer a moving ship than one that's stable. He was on the move. And my friends, you have talents. You have time, treasure, energy. Are you using those talents for the Lord in the church, at home, in the marketplace? And let me add another word. Are you using those talents with initiative, with personal initiative? So here's Apollos, learned, eloquent, competent, but incomplete. And so when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of the Lord more adequately. Now, if you have a printed Bible, you might want to write in the margin, when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home for enchiladas and tres leches cake. All right? And that's what they did with such wisdom. They didn't pounce on him, didn't write him up, then write him off, knew he was a good man with a good heart. But what they did, they brought him privately and graciously into their home and simply poured into him what the Apostle Paul had been pouring into them over the past year and a half. So i got a third question for you. Are you gracious enough to be helpful? Or are you too quick to write off and write up and pounce? I was reading an interview not too long ago by a business leader. And, uh, and she said, something that's very, very important to me is, is kindness. And kindness over niceness. And she said, the easiest example I can give of kindness over, nice, over niceness is that a kind person will take you aside and tell you that you have spinach in your teeth. A nice person will not tell you that because it's just uncomfortable. But a kind person is going to set you up for a much better rest of your day because you're not going to be running around with spinach in your teeth. And so here's this wonderful, wonderful couple of Aquila and Priscilla. Not just nice, but kind and helpful. And i got a fourth question. Are you humble enough to stay in the growth zone? Look at the humility of Apollos here. Learned, public skills second to none. A master uh, a speaker. In fact, many people think that Apollos was actually the writer of the New Testament book of Hebrews. Read the book of Hebrews sometime. It's a master oration. That's Apollos. Is he that writer? I'm not sure, but it's a pretty good bet. But notice, he's humble enough to go to the home of a couple of tent makers. And Apollos is a big shot. To remind you just kind of what of a big shot he is, remember when he goes to Corinth? It will create a little brouhaha in, in Corinth because there are people there so impressed with Apollos. Some would have said, remember you had a group saying, I'm, I follow the Apostle Peter. He's my guy. You've had others in that church saying, I follow the Apostle Paul. 
He's my guy. But you had others saying, I follow Apollos. Now, if you can be in the camp with the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul, and you're not an apostle, that means you've got some persuasive skills. That's Apollos. He was, everybody, he was a big shot. But he wasn't a big shot in his own eyes. He was a big shot, but he wasn't a big shot in his own eyes. Are you too much of a big shot in your own eyes? Are you so much of a big shot in your own eyes that God can't get your attention? But Apollos actually welcomed correction and improvement. You know, giftedness can actually be a curse. It can be. In any environment, giftedness without humility can be a curse. Even in the church, giftedness in the church can, can be a curse, more than a blessing, if it's not accompanied by humility. Humility is your growth zone. So let me ask a fifth question here. Because... Apollos was taught about baptism beyond the baptism of John, beyond the baptism of repentance. Have you been born of water and the Spirit? Have you experienced Christian baptism, listen, that celebrates all the wonders of grace, the death, the sacrificial atoning death of Christ? The bodily resurrection of Christ, his ascension to reign over all, the fact that he rules and reigns and distributes gifts to his followers, especially the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise that he's coming back and that no one can oppose him. As Christian, Christian baptism is a response to the fact that Jesus is both Lord and Savior. It's a response, a faith response to the cross, to the empty tomb, and to the ascension, the reigning, ruling Jesus. Have you been baptized like that yet? And have you forgotten its significance? Oh, there have been times I have, and I keep running back to my baptism years ago. I'm in Christ I'm not, it, my baptism was, was a baptism of repentance, but it was beyond that. It was also a baptism of reconciliation, redemption, and renewal in the Holy Spirit. You remember what Jesus said in John 3? He says, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. And then from Titus chapter 3, an absolutely beautiful passage. As I read this, listen to how rich this is. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. That can sort of describe our culture, right? But when the kindness, not the niceness, the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. 
He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. That's a picture of Christian baptism. Baptism is a faith response to the wonderful grace of Jesus, to the giving of the Holy Spirit. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Just remember, John the Baptist wasn't able to teach that when you're baptized, you also receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But in Christ, we have all things and let me just remind you, the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is He, the Father, Son, and Spirit. The Holy Spirit is as much God as the Father and the Son. He is the invisible but real presence of God within you and among you. He is your holy helper. He helps to remove spiritual blindness. He helps to soften hearts. He empowers our abilities so that we might serve one another in love. When you're going through difficult times, He is your comforter and He comforts you in the trials of life. The Holy Spirit actually prays for you when you're so worn out and defeated and broken and grieving, you don't even know how to pray or what to say. He does it for you. By the way, that's grace. God doing for us what we cannot do on our own. And the Holy Spirit restrains evil, sometimes around you and even within us, so that God can move forward in your life and mine. And actually, I think the best of all, the Holy Spirit is your down payment on your eternal salvation. When you come to Christ, you receive the Spirit as a down payment with the promise, there is more to come. That's our good God. That's what it means to live in this land of grace. And Apollos just needed to be brought up to speed. He had a good heart. He was sharp. He was surrendered. He was teachable and humble. And thankfully, Aquila and Priscilla were there to help. And so, verse 27, when Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, think Athens, think Greece, think Corinth. He says, I want to go there and serve. So the brothers and the sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. And when Apollos arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted Jewish opponents in public debate. How would you like to debate Apollos? He vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate. Notice this last phrase, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah, taking Old Testament scriptures and applying them to Jesus. I wonder what scriptures he used. Before I make a few suggestions, my sixth question is this. Do you know that your faith has both roots and reasons? If you accept the Old Testament scriptures as being actual scripture, you need to know your faith has roots. 
For those of you who may be evaluating Christianity and you say, I'm not sure I even believe in Scripture, Christianity has reasons. Keep searching with a good open heart. I wonder what Scriptures Apollos might have used. The Old Testament is full of messianic prophecy. Messianic, Messiah means anointed one, Jesus the Messiah. Sometimes we'll say Jesus Christ. The word Christ is the Greek version of Messiah. simply means the anointed one of God. Maybe he used Psalm 22, which was actually written in 950 B.C. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That sound familiar? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? Verse 8, he trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. That sound familiar to you? Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Verse 16, dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. Can't you just imagine a master teacher, orator like an Apollos, taking these scriptures and applying them and pointing them to the people, saying, these prophecies are fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth. They divide my clothes among them. They cast lots for my garment. That actually happened, my friends, at the cross. Psalm 69, verse 21, they put gall in my food. They gave me vinegar for my thirst. Maybe he quoted Isaiah 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel. Can't you just hear Apollos driving this home? This has been fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth. Isaiah 53. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Do you not remember that Jesus was crucified between two thieves, but he wasn't buried with any thief. He was buried and given a grave with the rich because a man, a wealthy, prominent one by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, provided the grave for Jesus, a borrowed tomb, if you will. Maybe one more, maybe Micah 5 verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, a very specific Bethlehem, not not the Bethlehem in Galilee, but Bethlehem Ephrathah in Judah, little tiny know-nothing Bethlehem, not even on your GPS, Bethlehem. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, Out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins, get this, are from old, from ancient times. 
who else could be both human and from ancient times divine but the Messiah? The Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, the city of David. He would be divine as well as human, having existed from eternity past. And there are skeptics who will point to these prophecies and say, okay, I don't really believe they were written 950 B.C., 850 B.C., uh, 550 B.C. I think they were actually maybe written during the time of Christ, during the time of Jesus, or there were insertions there to make Jesus appear more than he actually is. There have been some skeptics who've thrown that out. Since 1947, it's been increasingly difficult because in, beginning in 1947, you had the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. And the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, were written from a period of about 250 B.C., some of them then through to 68 A.D. But, and they contain biblical manuscripts of all the Old Testament books except for Esther, some complete books actually, and some crucial biblical manuscripts dealing with messianic prophecies. For example, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53. I mean, the Isaiah scroll gives a manuscript that predates, I mean, the dating of these scrolls uh, show that they were written 100 B.C., 150 B.C., a century before Christ, and so skeptics can no longer contend that portions were written during the time of Christ or right after the time of Christ or that maybe some first century insertions were there. No, these prophecies were written a century before the coming of Christ. Well, some other cynic or skeptic says, well, I, I just sort of think Peter and the boys made all this up. I think it's just a hoax. And you know what? That's possible. That's possible. They made it all up. It's possible. Cuts against the grain of human nature, though. You see, human nature says that when the heat is on, when the persecution gets turned up, when the pressure's there, um, you know, people are willing to suffer for a lie that they don't know is a lie. People are willing to die for a lie that they, they don't realize is a lie. But people are not willing to suffer and die for a lie they know is a lie. And you turn up the heat, all those early Christian martyrs would say, you know, we're not taking the rap on this. I'm not going down for this because one of my top motivations is self-preservation. And they chose death rather than denial. And so, in this story today, you see uh, some people who were really sharp but surrendered to the purposes of God. And Aquila and Priscilla. And Apollos. And what a difference they made. And if you look around this room... You see a ton of people right here who are sharp and surrendered, and I'm grateful for you. And the Lord is using you to make a difference in this church, in this community, 
in your homes. My friends, let me just remind you, nothing beats serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing beats being used by him. It's the best way to build a marriage. Build your marriage on the foundation of serving the Lord on the Word of God. You want to build your home, build your family without apology, raising your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You want the you want to be inviting the Holy Spirit to have unhindered sway in your home, in this church, in your life. And it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. The Lord loves you. He's full of grace. Remember, the message to you is not just repent for the King is coming. It's repent and receive for the King has come. Receive atonement, receive forgiveness, receive renewal in the Holy Spirit, receive the fantastic promises of God for your future.